the good news there, KB, is the I've seen re- very real evidence of the office of the CISO being allocated more responsibility. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Peter, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on this afternoon because when we were sort of talking about the angle of the topic, this is an interesting one. I haven't covered it before, so I'm keen to get into that. Uh, But before we do that side of things, I'm keen to understand a little bit about you and your journey. Now, we did discuss this uh, originally when we spoke, but I'm really keen for our listeners to hear a little bit more about your journey and talk us through where you started to where you are now. Super, KB. And can I just say thank you so much for having me on the show? It's a real privilege to be here. So my career, so that's an interesting question. So I have held various IT and finance type roles before joining Dimension Data back in 2011 in South Africa. Um, I started as a management accountant and got a promotion to be a financial manager of the applications business for Dimension Data back in South Africa. And despite the fact that I studied a Bachelor of Accounting, the one thing I told myself was I'd, I'd never be a financial manager and, and ended up in that position and, to be honest, was was pretty unhappy. So having always captained the cricket team and the hockey team and sort of run sports clubs, I said to my boss at the time, um, I'd like to run a business. You know, if you can run a sports team, surely you can run a business. So he... Uh, took a bit of a risk on me. He moved me down to Cape Town to run the applications business back in 2014. And f- since then, I've been running businesses within Dimension Data and INTT. Um, that spanned across both applications and security. I moved into the world of cybersecurity in around about 2017. Actually left Dimension Data, uh, funnily enough, around middle of 2018 to start my own business. Uh, didn't get very far from the group. My first client in my business was Dimension Data. My second client was a subsidiary of Dimension Data. And then they asked me to come across to Australia to run the security practice here for uh, Dimension Data and our NTT in Victoria, which is what I've been doing for the last uh, three and a half years. It's been an interesting run. Our business in this market has doubled. My headcount has tripled. And we have a a major role to play in Victoria and securing sort of Australian businesses. Um, And KB, hot off the press, one of the things that I'm proudest of is our talent development in our business. And we have just been awarded an accolade of having the best internship in Australia. Wow, that's awesome. Tell me a little bit more about it. What do people get in the internship? So every year for between six and 12 weeks, we take five students from Deakin University who are studying either their Bachelor of Cybersecurity or, or, or an IT degree and bring them into my business here in Victoria. And the focus of the internship is not teaching them how a firewall works or how an EDR technology works. It's teaching them the business of... I guess, cyber more, more broadly. So how does a sales team work? How does a pre-sales team work? What do our consultants actually do? What is a day in the life of an engineer? Um, they spend time with our key strategic technology partners. And we really just ingest them into the business and let them sort of run free, so to speak, and learn how a business actually works. A lot of what you don't necessarily get in a university degree is, is you know, what your job's going to look like when you get into the market. So that's what we try and give the students that join NTT for that time. Yeah, you're so true. I guess I like that because it's like a zoomed out approach around the mechanics of how a business runs. Because I think sometimes when we do operate in independent silos, we do forget that there are other people that help with the overall operations of an internal and external business. So I think that's great. I've, I don't think there's a lot of people doing that though in the market, if I'm honest. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I think what makes it sort of unique with NTT is um, we don't sort of hide anything from the students. They really get exposed to the inner workings, the mechanics of a business, the careers of our executives, of our leadership. Um, and we feel, you know, what we what we do every year with the internship is we try and onboard as many students as possible into our graduate program when they've finished their degrees after they've spent time in NTT. And the observation that we've had as a business is when they come into NTT, having done an internship with us, they're able to hit the ground running from day one as they join the business. So the time to value, so to speak, for the students um, that have already done an internship with an NTT is, is incredibly short. So it really helps us as a business. It helps us develop talent. It helps sort of me develop my business. And I view that internship as a, a key tenant or cornerstone of the future of my um, practice here in, in Victoria. Yeah, I think it's important to start to develop that talent pipeline from university, even schools. So that's, I think it's awesome. I think more people need to take a page out of what you guys are doing and, and start doing that. So we, we do have enough people to secure, I guess, not even just Australia, but globally, um, they keep talking about a talent shortage. But I mean, depends who you speak to, you get different answers. So I'm keen to, now when we spoke, we spoke about a breach. So a breach happens, which is not ideal. The company manages it and then the media stops talking about it. So according to the public, that's sort of the end of the breach, right? And everyone, you know, people move on. The next thing happens in media and that's really just how it works. But the key thing that I really want to speak to you about today is, well, what happens after all the publicity dies down, people forget about it? Like what are, what are companies realistically dealing with like beyond the breach, right? Because it's something that people don't speak about. They're like, oh, a breach happened. And then you hear about it and you hear people on social media like hammering people. But then what happens? Now, the analogy that you and I spoke about was with the bushfires, for example, that was huge. I think it was 2019. And I remember even in Sydney, I was flying back from Melbourne to Sydney and the, the sky was yellow. Now, it went on for months how it was and people are still recovering from those bushfires that happened years ago but since then so many other things that have happened that's taken over the media so I'm really keen to hear from your point of view like what is the reality of what people have got to deal with after a breach happens that's a that's a great question KB and and I mean there's so many different sort of angles to that question or, or ways to answer it um probably I'll start with the first and and most notable one or most obvious one so breaches tend to get sort of organizations very excited and, and lots of people um, involved. And, and you know, the first couple of days after a significant breach, um, people are working pretty much around the clock to try and identify, isolate, remediate, and just uh, make sure that whatever has been impacted is known and, and you can sort of start getting to the bottom of what happened. Fatigue at that point sets in pretty quickly. You'd be absolutely astounded KB to to see how quickly fatigue can set into people as they go through the process of uncovering and and remediating from a breach uh, it's quite sad to see in fact because you see people burning out after a week or two um, so the first first thing I'd say that happens sort of behind the scenes that maybe people aren't aware of is that people aspect of a breach and how it can impact you know the likes of you and me if we're involved pretty heavily both from a a business point of view and from a personal point of view, that time away from family, that time away from friends. Um, I've got two young kids, so if I'm working around the clock, I don't get to see them. And, you know, that f fatigue and burnout can settle, in, can settle in faster than you'd think. So it's something to be aware of up front for anyone who's 
involved in the technology market, he's involved in cyber, is beware the fatigue factor, um, you know, in the event of something going wrong. The second interesting thing that happens that people don't necessarily get to see or experience through the media is, is I guess, a, what I call a loss of memory. So we've worked with, or I've worked with a number of different organizations that have gone through uh, challenges, cybersecurity incidents, and some deal with it very well. And, you know, they make sure that they future-proof their business from that happening again. Others forget. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many people go through an incident, how many organizations go through an incident and six to eight weeks later when you know everything's back up and running or, or longer, as can be the case, they move on. So it's not just the media that moves on, it's the organizations themselves. And that's, that's really disappointing for me as a sort of a practitioner in the market because I've seen it too many times where um, organizations undergo a breach, an incident, and not even 12 months later, they go through it again. And, and the challenge that was, or the vulnerability that was exposed the first time is pretty similar to the vulnerability that got, gets exposed the second time. So um, that loss of memory is, is not good. Uh, it's not spoken about in the media. It's not visible. I mean, you know, not many people will admit to that, but it, it happens. So just hold that thought for a second. Sorry, Peter. I'm keen to understand. You said people just move on internally. Is it because there's other work to be done or are they like, oh, well, that was awkward. We've just got to kind of get on with it now. Forget the breach. What is it specifically that people just forget about it, move on, on to the next thing now? Fascinating. Fascinating question. There's no simple answer to that, Kev. It could be priorities change. Um, It could be that cybersecurity was never taken seriously in the first place. So, you know, when the breach happens, it's more irritating than anything else, and they just kind of move on afterwards once they once they've remediated and their business is back up and running. Um, and that both of that, you know, both of those are really disappointing outcomes because the more vulnerable organisations are, the more lucrative it is lucrative it is for hackers and and you know, so nation states, threat actors to um, be doing what they're doing. The less secure we are as an, as a civilization, as a country, as a you know as organisations for which we work the more attractive it will be for um, hackers to, you know, be in their jobs, I suppose. So um, variety of things, but I've definitely seen people move on very quickly after an incident's happened. And I think you, you raise a great point there. It is a bit awkward. So the quicker you can put it to bed and move on, um, you know, the better for certain people. That That is absolutely the wrong approach. Um, one of the things, KB, we were talking about when we spoke initially was staying the course. And I think it's so important after a breach to, to just remember why you're doing what you're doing, stay the course, make sure that you um, sort of remember the breach, if that makes sense, and make sure that you don't find yourself as a business in the same position you did, that, that you were when you were breached in the first instance. And, and that happens. You talk about um, patch management and you know, making sure your vulnerabilities are, are dealt with, so to speak. Uh, it's amazing how quickly organizations uh, bring their patch management and vulnerability management processes up to date after they get breached. So it's amazing, again, how many businesses forget and, you know, that that good practice that they learned because they realized that they had to keep everything patched and up to date uh, because of a breach. They sort of slowly transition back to that state where patching and, and good vulnerability management becomes too hard, which is, um, again, that's not that's not where you want to be as a business. You want to make sure your hygiene is up. You want to make sure that on a daily basis you're doing the right thing and that you're as resilient as possible uh, to cybersecurity incidents. Mm, no, those are great points. Do you believe, so the media, they go on and on and on about it. Eventually something else happens, they move on. But then you've also got your industry peers hammering you, right? Like, oh, you know, they should have done this and that. 
which I find frustrating because it's like, well, you're not there. You weren't there, James. You don't know all the ins and outs. You're not an expert in this particular breach because you weren't there. So you you cannot speak uh, as intricately as people like to think that they do. So do you think that because of the media, in you know, industry peers, that causes people to want to just move on quickly because they're like, oh, my gosh, like, if I'm going out somewhere and someone knows I'm from X company, I've been breached. Like I just, ha- I just get hammered with questions. Interesting observation. I, I think that's absolutely there. You know, there's still this behavior in the industry where something happens, an organization gets gets hit, and quietly people start talking about it, and all of a sudden everyone's phoning that organization to try and sell them something because they can fix all their problems. And and that I'm sorry, you know, I'm afraid to say that behavior is absolutely terrible, to be quite frank. Um, the empathy that I think we need as an industry around breaches and, and being in the moment, the empathy that we need is far more than I think that we've got at this point in time. It still comes down to a lot of sort of hard selling of, hey, I've got a technology that can fix your problem, or I heard you've got a problem. Have you looked at this uh, piece of technology over here? And I, yeah, I mean, that definitely doesn't encourage the right behavior. I'd like to see a shift there, KV. So I think I think having been involved in a in a breach or an incident should be something. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say you should be proud of because you know maybe there's a bit of hygiene or maturity that wasn't there or that could have been there. But um, it should be something we encourage people to talk about. It should be something that we encourage conversation about. We spend a lot of our time in the industry talking about preventative controls and keeping people out. We don't spend a lot of time talking enough time talking about breaches and recovery. I often say, and my advice to to my audience is spend 50% of your time keeping people out and spend the other 50% of your time figuring out how you're going to rebuild your core applications, your core business in the event that someone gets in, because we certainly don't spend enough time there. And I think to your point, it comes down to, you know, potentially there's a hesitance around um, being that person or that organization that had a breach, a bit of awkwardness, a bit of shame, you know, that, that really shouldn't be the case. So why would you believe people aren't speaking about breaches and recovery as often as you'd like them to be? I think there's still, there's certainly still a a bit of a stigma attached to breaches. So to your point earlier, a bit of shame, a bit of, you know, sort of embarrassment. There's, there's definitely, um, you know, I've worked with a number of businesses who've gone through this, you know, some pretty severe incidents. And there's definitely a directive still from certain, you know, organizations, leadership to, keep everything quiet, to not let every, you know, not let anything get out, to not make the markets, you know, their suppliers, their clients aware of the fact that they've gone through a breach. Uh, and that's from the top down. So, you know, when you get told directly from your board that you're not to discuss whatever it is that just happens, then, you know, that's that. You, 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 you know, your hands are tied. I don't know. I, th- I think as, a, as an industry, we could certainly take a different approach to this. I think of it this way. If you... If your business is architected to recover within 24 hours from a severe incident, then a breach isn't a problem. If you can build your business again quickly because you've, you know, you you build your business with recovery in mind, then, you know, having a breach. Well, at the end of the day, it's not such a serious incident if you're only offline for a couple of hours or a day. So I think the more we talk about it, and, and that's where I think we need to change our tech as an industry, the more we talk about it and the more we talk about the recovery piece and what doesn't get covered in the media, the better off it will be because we'll know what's going to happen. We know what to do. We know how to recover and everything can be a little bit smoother as a result. 
Would you say, though, that many businesses in your experience can't recover in 24 hours? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. So mm. Something as simple as backups. So backups are often architected with um, restoring files or, or you know, parts of a business if there's data corruption or or someone loses a file, you know, they're not architected to bring a business back up in line within 24 hours. There's technology out there that does it, but there's not a, there could certainly be more investment um, from businesses and just making sure that backups and, and disaster recovery and business continuity plans are built with speed in mind as opposed to where I think we were in the past, which is just making sure that everything's done regularly and there's tapes around and we've, we have the data. But how quickly you can restore the data is the question we should be asking ourselves. Gosh, tapes around. Wow. Uh, so, okay, I'm curious then to know, so most businesses are now, everyone's working from home, remotely, work from anywhere. Like if you don't have some sort of a plan, like it's it's going to get quite hard because you've got people working from wherever, right? So how, has that sh- like shifted people's mindset to be like, we've got to get a plan. If something does happen, we've got to get people working online quite rapidly. I mean, the amount of money people could lose depending on what type of business they are running, if things are offline. So I'm curious to know, like, has that mindset shifted or are people still just doing the same old, same old? From where I'm sitting, and I'm very pleased to say this, I I think there's been a huge shift in the market over the past couple of years because of remote working and the shift of the perimeter. I mean, your perimeter in the past would have been your office. Um, your network, you know, that we were worried about was at the office. Any breakout connectivity was from the office. So you secure your data center, you secure your office, and you're fine. Now your perimeter is your home routers, your home switches, your home Wi-Fi. Um, and connecting to applications, often, you know, people don't even go through the data center anymore. They go direct to SAST applications, applications in the cloud. And that mindset shift has been, um, it's been incredible to watch, and it's been incredible to be a part of because... Now, all of a sudden, your data is everywhere. You've got to think very differently about how you secure everything. And now, for me, visibility is key. So one of the things that we used to spend a lot of time on in the past as an industry is heavy network and perimeter security to keep people out. Now, the shift in the industry has gone to, I'm not using my data center anymore because everything's sitting in the cloud or in SaaS applications. So mm. where is my data? Do I understand um how it's moving across those different cloud networks and, and between SaaS applications. And something, for example, like Log4j towards the end of last year, what that exposed is visibility is absolutely key. Kavi, I can tell you, you can't secure what you don't know exists. And unless you have full visibility into your environment, um, you know, you stand almost no chance of keeping it secure. So the shift that's happened over the past two years has absolutely helped uh, from a cyber point of view to, I guess, allow businesses to be more resilient in the way they approach their applications, their data, who connects to what, and having visibility around all of that. Well, that's good. That's a good win. I think you are right. Uh, and of course, if you don't know what you don't have, like that's impossible, right? Like yeah. people aren't Nostradamus. They don't know everything. They're not a magician where they just know exactly every endpoint, every, whatever, right? So I think that that's terrific news that we are moving in the right direction, which of course maybe isn't at the level that we'd like it to be, but at least it's in a positive uh, direction. So talk to me a little bit more about, would you say people aren't thinking about what happens after a breach though, as in like companies are still recovering six months post-breach? So I'd like to hear from your point of view, what are some of the realities a company can 
face six months on? Some of the realities are you may not even be fully back online with all the applications and, and data and connectivity that you had uh, pre-breach after six months. I've, I've witnessed, you know, sort of witnessed businesses still struggling six months after a breach. I guess a, a few observations there. The first is inevitably there's going to be some sort of audit, maybe internal, maybe external, and the findings of that audit will get lots of people excited, specifically organizational leadership. And especially when that's done by an external third party, there will be what I've seen is a view that whatever that third party says went wrong or whatever those audit findings are, we just have to implement the remediation items no matter what. That's kind of okay, but my advice there would be to at least cast your eye as a CISO or a you know, security team in your business and apply your own lens to that because often audit findings, whilst they're very useful and helpful to show where potentially things went wrong and what could be improved, they're also done from the perspective of an outsider. So you have to apply your own lens and your own thinking to those audit findings and challenge them. If you're, you know, stand up and, and challenge something if you don't think that it's the right thing for your business. Too often I've seen organizations take those audit findings, run into the ground, spend 12 months just doing what was in the audit report. Yes, you know, maybe you get some more security controls, maybe you get new technology, new processes, you get bigger teams or you know, sort of more investment and at face value, that sounds great. It can often introduce more complexity and as a result, make your, you know, sort of management of or day-to-day operations more complex as a result. And inevitably, the harder things are to manage and the more technology and different services and what have you that you introduce, the more risk that you have as a business. Um, so that's, that's one thing, just, you know, take those audit findings, apply your own lens over that and make sure that whatever you're doing um, as a result of the breach is applicable to your business and the right thing for your business because um, to just accept that the audit findings are correct and you just have to do what they tell you I don't think is necessarily helpful longer term. I think the other the other thing is it can often introduce and I alluded to it in the audit findings it can introduce a whole lot of complexity um, you know new technologies new service providers remember that when a breach happens the less different organizations and intern, both internally and externally that are involved, the better, because to have multiple different parties running things down, different SLAs, different organizational processes, makes things complex, makes things hard when you need to be agile and as quick as possible to you know, sort of run an incident to ground and rebuild your business. Introducing all that complexity as a result, again, you know, I run a cybersecurity business, make no mistake, I'm quite happy for people to do lots of different projects and introduce new technology, because guess what, you know, my I'm a business manager, and at the end of the day, I, I need to turn a profit for my business, and that's that's good business for me. But it also, you know, you run the risk of of actually putting yourself in a worse off position longer term because of all that complexity that you introduce. Um, you know, just simple things like maturing your processes to handle different technology and different services is not actually at face value as easy as it seems. Um, and the more the more service providers you introduce into your business, the more challenging it is to coordinate, you know, sort of operational activities across those service providers. So, so the second thing I'd say is just, again, apply your own lens. Um, remember that complexity doesn't actually help longer term, even though getting a whole lot of new technology and capabilities into your business may sound good in the short term. And again, back to our original point, stay the course, do what's right for your business, um, and make sure that you remember that, you know, the reason that you're doing all these things, the reason that you're uh, remediating all these these items is because of that breach. Okay, so let's talk about staying the course. 
Now, I think the analogy we used is like going to the gym. So I remember in lockdown uh, where I live in Sydney, there was uh, everyone going for a walk. Like it was packed and I was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't feel like a lockdown. Now I'm, you know, maybe people are doing other things, but it feels like, you know, now people have gone back to their life before. They've forgotten about working out and going to the gym and all these types of things. So I'm curious to know, it's very easy to set an intentional, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to do the thing within the company, but then it's a week goes by or like six months goes by. It's very hard to have that level of, of stamina to keep doing that and staying the course. So explain to me a little bit about this and maybe some advice you have around staying the course. Yeah. And then the gym and walking analogies, I mean, that's, that's spot on and it's, it's very much the same when it comes to um, staying the course after a breach. So Look, introducing new technology, um, new controls into your business after a breach is all well and good. I think one of the things that we need to focus on is is processes. Uh, processes are is you know introducing process and and making sure that process is embedded across your business um, to encourage good hygiene. So if, again, back to things like patch management and making sure that vulnerabilities are managed in an appropriate way. A lot of that comes down to process. So it's great getting a vulnerability management tool into your business, but if there's no process to sort of deal with that longer term and make sure that that's embedded into your business, then you know that vulnerability management tool is just going to, over time, get used less and less and less to the point that it probably gets shelved until the next breach happens. Making sure that cybersecurity, and this is a you know term often used in the industry, but probably not practiced enough, making sure that cybersecurity sits at a both an executive and a board level in terms of visibility. Um, it's not something that should be dealt with when it goes wrong. It's something that it's a continuous process. No organization ever reaches a point where they are secure. Some organizations are more mature than others. Uh, that's that's obvious, but no one, there's no nirvana that any business has reached that is absolutely secure. You have to, you have to treat cybersecurity as a monthly, daily, annual thing within your business and keep improving, keep measuring, keep monitoring and making sure that you're continuously moving the dial. Some of the things that, that we look to do as a business by way of example is continuous, continuously going back in and assessing maturity of organizations that we deal with to make sure that both us and them are continuously turning the dial and moving their operations forward so that at no point does anything become stagnant. You have to figure out a way to not just do um, a roadmap and strategy every three years and then sort of execute against that and then pop your head up in three years' time and think about it again. You need to constantly go back and review your priorities, review your strategy. Times change. Organizations change. COVID was a great example of that. No one knew that we'd be sitting at our desks at home doing remote working in December 2018, yet by March 2019, sorry, December 2019, yet by March 2020, Three months later, everyone is sitting at home using remote connectivity to get into critical business applications and have access to critical sort of business data. So keep moving, keep changing, never accept that sort of now we're secure and and be done with it. And I guess the final thing I'd, I'd say there, KV, or the final piece of advice is, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, spend more time on recovery. Spend more time on understanding what it takes to get your key application back up and running that runs your business. So that key application might be a financial application, it might be a student system, it might be a logistics system, it might be a management or manufacturing system. The quicker that you can get that application back up and running or those applications, there'll be multiple applications in your business that are key to your business, 
the quicker you can get those back up and running, the more resilient you're going to be as a business. It's all well and good focusing on keeping people out. But resilience, organizational resilience, cyber resilience doesn't just imply keeping people out. Um, it's about how you rebuild your business from the ground up when everything gets taken off. And so if you focus and continue to focus as a business on how to get those key applications back up and running, then a breach becomes less important. It becomes less of a problem. It becomes less less sort of earth-shattering or organizational threatening. So keep at it. Make sure systems and processes are built and, and maintained to continuously improve your business and make sure that you spend time in recovery. Would you say that people have this view in their mind about reaching this nirvana state perhaps and then it's like oh well I'm never going to get there and then it's because sometimes it's like oh you know I want to I want to lose 50 kilos and then you're like oh I can't even lose one kilo and then you sort of end up giving up anyway because you set the bar really really high which is absolutely great but then do you think that people set this bar of this nirvana state of security and they just know they're never going to get there and so they just give up or what's the mindset behind that perhaps yeah, it's interesting, KB. I think a little bit of fatigue sets in. So, you know, there can be lots of excitement when an audit happens or a breach happens. And, you know, there's lots of attention and budgets allocated and so on and so forth. And much like the media you referred to earlier, um, finding something else to report on, organizations find something else to be concerned about or, or prioritize. And, um, and so that's, you know, that absolutely happens. And it just goes by the, just goes by the wayside, I'm assuming, yeah? Yeah, very much. It does go by the wayside. And that's, I mean, it's it's understandable, as regrettable as it is, it is understandable. Um, and I guess that comes down to then the quality of, of the individuals that you have in a business, right? A good CISO will constantly keep their board under pressure to make sure that they're aware of the risks that an organization faces. They've signed off on any, you know, sort of major risks and, and have taken an accepted responsibility for them. And they know that they're going to get sage advice from that CISO that's, that's, you know, applicable and and in align with their business strategy. So, I mean, there's a I guess there's a number of ways to keep keep going, so to speak, and keep up the pressure. And it's as simple as it sounds, KB, it often comes down to the quality of individuals within a business. Um, you need someone who's going to be dynamic. You need someone who understands business risk, running your security operations, or you know, the office of the CISO. Um, you need someone who can clearly articulate what risk means to a business and speak in you know. English or layman's terms to the board and and represent what that risk means to that business. So, you know, akin to akin to going to the gym, I'm probably one of those who've said I'm going to lose you know 20 kilos quite a few times in my life. Whether or not I've actually managed to get there or not, I won't necessarily disclose on the podcast. But um, I guess it's it also comes down to a bit of muscle a bit of muscle memory. I guess in the you know you, you've got to. It's like running a business. You can't just come in, spend six months trying to fix a business and then take your foot off the gas. Running a business every single day, it takes, you know, there's lots of little tasks that you have to do that culminate into one big operation and you have to keep your pressure on, you know, keep going, keep the pressure up and keep the business moving forward as otherwise it'll slip very quickly. It's the same with cybersecurity. You have to keep the pressure on, you have to keep going, you have to keep the team motivated and um, you've got to stay the course. Well, I guess that sort of leads me to my next question. Would you say it's fair that organizations are just too focused on getting their head above the water than perhaps like focusing on like, oh, well, what do we learn from the breach or how do we go wrong? And like, you know, maybe that because, yes, that was stressful, but then business as usual, things still need to go on, right? Like the world keeps turning. So what I've noticed is sort of, you know, to talk about keeping your head above the water and and what I've seen in many organizations is that, 
the office of the SISO, you know, the security team run around responding to audit requirements, legislative requirements, um, executive requirements, and just spend a lot of their time just answering questions and and making sure things are compliant and things are in line with management expectations. And they don't actually manage to get the head up of water, to your point. So it's a very difficult thing to do because if, you, if you're spending all day and all night just responding to demand as opposed to thinking about what um, you need to do a little bit longer term and what's, you know, what actually is and isn't right to your business, it is very challenging. I'm seeing this more and more. I was chatting to um, an IT executive the other day who reckons he spends more than 50% of his time just on responding to legislative and sort of government requirements around certain things that they needed to do as a business because of the industry in which they operate. More than 50% of your time just responding to um, legislative requirements and, and, and the like, that's, that's not going to help your business be more secure or move forward. That is literally just trying to keep your head above water. It's not slowing down. There's more legislation that's coming. You know, as organizations or, sorry, not organizations, but countries look to reduce their risk profile and, you know, globalization, we spent 15, 20 years sending things offshore to low cost destinations and, you know, to reduce OPEX and reduce operating costs. Now, now as an industry, we're bringing everything back on shore because we want all of our data and services to be in Australia. Um, you know, that's, that's a massive, that's a fundamental shift in how we um, work as sort of an industry and, and how organizations manage and op- operate their, you know, the information technology. And that legislation that's driving that, it's not going to stop anytime soon. So I'm not too sure what the answer is, what the golden bullet is, other than having massive teams in your business just to make sure that, you know, certain legislative requirements and, and, you know, government requirements are being adhered to, um, because it often falls onto the office of the CISO. And and so to your earlier point, you you know, when you're not responding to those those requirements, you're trying to make sure that your operations are safe and secure. But... To be frank, you're probably not spending enough time just thinking and reflecting on what's right and what's wrong for your business. So, um, a challenging one, a very challenging one. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Well, I haven't seen many organisations get that one right, KB. If I'm honest, mm, I guess it's hard. I mean, there's an analogy that they use when you're an entrepreneur, like, are you working in the business or are you working on the business, right? And so, how I see in the business is doing operations, responding to the legislative requirements, for example. Then on the business is having that uh, reflection and that introspection on, oh, this is where we went wrong and having that team around you. So I'm guessing my question is why, I mean, if you're an executive, that should be your role, right? You should not be sitting there doing operational stuff. You should be saying, this is the vision. This is the plan. We've got to get these people to project manage these you know, these big IT projects that we need to run or whatever it may be, right? But isn't that your role then at the executive level? So I'm curious to know why people perhaps aren't doing that, even if it's not 100%, but even like 50 to 60, 70, 80%. Again, it's probably a different for, you know, it will be different for every organization. Um, the gentleman that I was referring to, I mean, that, that yeah, I, I agree, it's it's not necessarily what you think an executive should do in a business, but, um, you know, so be it, I think. But KB, and then it also comes down to, you know, financials and costs, right? As organizations are trying to make sure that they're as operationally efficient as possible and, you know, return the highest possible margins to their uh, and operating profit to their shareholders, the questions will often come about dollars and whether or not those investments are required for people to actually go and go and do that. I, I think we underestimate the impact of all this different legislation and requirements on our 
um, on our businesses uh, and the industry more broadly. I'll give you a, a case in point there. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm straying away from sort of the executive question, but in bringing data and services back on shore um, during COVID, funnily enough, with the borders closed, it was, a, it was a real challenge. You know, there's the supply and demand curve in Australia is very um, has been very set over the past couple of years, or certainly the supply curve, uh, because we haven't been importing talent into Australia with the borders closed. But we've put a lot of pressure on businesses to bring services on shore, um, where there haven't been you know additional people to go and cater for that onshore requirement. So it's it's put more and more pressure on the industry um, to find people that, quite frankly, don't exist, um, and if you can't bring in from overseas because the borders have been closed. Fortunately, with everything opening up now again, that's going to, I think, over the next two, three years, we're going to slowly start solving that problem. But we face a very real skills shortage problem in this country, and there's no easy way of solving it. And again, I apologies, I digressed a bit from the executive question, but um, it just made me think about um, some of the industry challenges, I guess, that we're facing. Mm. No, I, I hear, I do hear what you're saying. That's definitely been a problem, um, especially on getting overseas talent uh, in in country, so would you say then that the board perhaps? And I mean, this is an ideal world, right? I, I get it. Like things happen. Like ideally, we we want things to run like this, and it may not always happen because you said talent shortage, financials. There's just not enough people that we have on site. Can't afford to hire more people. But don't you think a board should be almost like pushing their executives to be like, right, a breach happened. I really need you guys to focus on how you got to think about it. You know, and you you touched on it before, like focus on the recovery side of things. Don't you think they should be pushing for that though? Versus in the oh, let's just get ahead above the water. Let's just you know keep things operationally running. Like maybe it's a shift in mindset so this doesn't happen again, or how to get it better. Like they should be actually saying to their team, "You guys need to spend a week or whatever it is to think about what is the plan to get us out of this mess long term and for it to never happen again." Hopefully. Kevin, I, I would love to say that I've seen that happen a lot. To be honest, I, I haven't necessarily, not to say that it doesn't, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, if we're going to take this seriously and if we're going to make sure that we protect um, our organizations, the businesses that we work for, then it has to come from the top down. It has to be taken seriously at a board level. And I think often it is. I, to be fair, I've certainly seen lots of evidence of, of cybersecurity being elevated to a board level and being taken seriously. I still think we're... We're a few steps away from uh, managing to invest both time and money into, or appropriate time and money into making sure that um, we're as resilient as, as possibly we can be as an industry. So uh, I would love to see um, sort of a team, you know, organization, a, t- a security team, um, Office of the CISO being given a couple of weeks, you know, break, so to speak, to make sure that resilience and and um, recovery and everything else is sorted out because to deal with that on top of everything else is is challenging. Um, the good news there, KB, is the I've seen re- very real evidence of the office of the CISO being allocated more responsibility, which is good. So when things like organizational resilience or cyber resilience start falling under the office of security, when things like physical security start falling under the office of security, when disaster recovery and business continuity plans are directly you know, under the office of the CISO. That's good because it gives, well, firstly, it gives acknowledgement to the fact that the office of the security is ultimately the ones at the end of the day that can and should be responding to breaches and have operational control over the response to a breach. It also means that 
Um, I referred to it earlier. The more complex your business is, the more complex you know, your technology estate is, the more service providers that you have in your business, the more difficult it is for you to functionally operate both day-to-day and in the event of a breach. And as more organizational responsibility gets consolidated into the office of the CISO, I think longer term that can only mean good things for businesses more broadly. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about the function of the office of the CISO in your business, I'd ask you, you know, consider consider the role of the office of the CEO of the CISO and, and, and his or her team more broadly in your business, what they are and aren't responsible for, and and thinking about what you could potentially transfer into that, you know, into that part of your business and, and allow them to take more operational control over it. So the more may sound a little bit controversial, but the more operational control a CISO has, the better he or her um, or the, the more chance he or her has of actually functionally recovering a business in the event of a breach. And so just a little bit pressing on that point a little bit more, do you have any other sort of strategies that companies can share, like learnings from a breach, uh, uh, to sort of disseminate that across their team, but then also upwards to their board as well? Yeah, I guess um, well, the first thing I'd say is don't panic. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people and, and businesses panic Um in one instance, I was even writing an email on behalf of the managing director of a business uh, to send to um, their direct reports, you know, on on what's happening and then, you know, sort of next steps to send it on their behalf because the individual at that point wasn't, um, I guess, calm enough to be able to put that together in his own mind. So, um, and that that was a pretty daunting thing to see, right? So, the, <laughs> the owner of a business not able to coherently put an email together to his direct report to explain what was going on was a pretty interesting um, situation to find myself in and putting together an email on their behalf. Don't panic. Understand that, you know, at the end of the day, yes, it's, it's you know, it can be potentially devastating, but it's technology, it's process, you can get it back up and running. Um, and I guess don't feel the need to hold everything to yourself, keep everything to yourself and not tell the market, your clients, your suppliers, because cybersecurity is an interesting one. So in the event of an incident, you, if you don't inform the market, I guess, or, or share your experience and um, inform key people as part of your supply chain, you can fundamentally break down trust with your business, both within your business and you know within the market in which you operate more broadly. These things get out. The more we pretend they didn't happen or decline to comment, uh, the more distressed it creates in your market more generally, and it may actually negatively impact your um, operating revenue, your you know your market share. Because if people lose trust in you as a business because they're aware that something happened, but you're denying it flat out, that may have a direct impact on the trust that they have in your business more generally, and they may take their business somewhere else. So, don't feel the need to keep it from the market. Don't feel the need to hide everything because. The first thing you'll be doing is breaking your own business, um, potentially hurting your own market share, your own um, revenues and profits. And the second thing you'll be doing is you'll not allow others to learn from you um, and allow them to be, you know, make their businesses more resilient. One of the things, KB, that I believe in is a community approach to cyber. Um, and that's a pretty broad statement. But one of the things we did back in South Africa was we built a... Um, what we termed a retail information security community. What that was, was we had all the retailers in South Africa um, across multiple locations signed up to the community. We met once a month for three hours 
so a fairly lengthy meeting, quite a quite a big commitment. Um, we had representatives from security and IT join that community and share their experiences, not necessarily breaches, but their approaches, say, to ISO 27001 or um, we had an organization present their cybersecurity strategy to all their competitors. And that was really interesting, right? It took a lot of time to build up that trust and that safe, um, you know, the safe place for them to be able to share. But when we got, when we got beyond that, those organizations learned and benefited greatly from sharing their experiences. So before we built that community, no, you know, no one ever spoke to each other across those different businesses. After we built that community, we created a network of people that could share experiences, could share approaches, and those organizations learned as a result to do things faster, better, um, spend less time and money on difficult challenges. Um, and it materially moved, you know, so the maturity of the retail community back in South Africa. So approaches like that, where you feel safe to share things, you can share your experiences, um, and it doesn't have to be in the media, uh, KB. It doesn't have to be in sort of ABC or SBS. It can be in communities in which you feel safe. Um, it can be industry communities, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. But get out there, share, make sure that there's trust in your brand because people will trust you if you open up and make sure that other people learn from you. Both will be helpful. Wow, that's excellent. No, I like those ideas. I don't think for the people I've spoken to in Australia, we're not doing enough of that. So definitely some food for thought for people to take away uh, from this interview today. So really appreciate your time, Peter. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.